Well, hello there, beautiful. It's Kylie Patchett here. Welcome to the world and finally fecking free podcast. I deeply believe that the years during and beyond perimenopause are a rite of passage. All of a sudden, we find ourselves on the precipice of a life transition where our brain literally rewires and runs out of fucks to give. We find ourselves shifting identity, no longer caring what other people think, and being invited to expand into new ways of being. Here, we share the real and raw stories from women who have been through deep midlife metamorphosis, taken a leap of faith, or broken the ties that bind us in patterns of staying small, stuck, and like our needs just don't matter. This is the midlife medicine you didn't even know you needed. Stories full of joy, despair, freedom, courage, and deep self-honoring. I am so glad you found us. Welcome. I'm doing my little boogie that says I'm excited again, not that anyone can bloody well see me. (laughs) Um, I am deeply, deeply, deeply excited to have our next guest in the world and finally fucking free podcast chair because this lovely lady, Nicole Little, was um, part of my life many, many moons ago on the sunny coast and the joy of putting out this invitation to share stories is that I'm getting to reconnect with all you cool people. So, hey, Nick, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. It's so good to see you. It's amazing. I talk to you. I know. I was was looking at... um, all the photos from years ago of goal power, like when we used to train and we did the triathlon, well, not the full triathlon. I never yeah. did a full triathlon like you did, but the little mini triathlon and oh, yep. so much, so much. Um, I have really fond memories of the connection and that real, yeah. you know, community yeah. that was that um, yeah. goal power for everyone listening was a like a, a training business, outdoor training business on the Sunshine Coast. And yeah, yes, deeply, mm. deeply grateful for the gifts. So let's dive in. I just read your story again mm-hmm. and I was just like, there's so many threads that I want to pull here. <laughs> let's start with, mm. in your answer to one of the questions, you said, this happened and I thought that was my midlife metamorphosis. Mm. So let's start there and then we'll mm. unfold. So probably mid-30s, I'd say, I think yep. I was. You know, I had, uh, I was married, I had three kids, mm-hmm. um, my my youngest was, um, I think, maybe around two years old. Yep. Um, I was quite overweight at the time um, and feeling like I needed some change in my life. And, you know, anyway, I embarked on this. I just decided one day that I wanted to do um, a triathlon. And, you know, I kind of set in motion this plan and I kind of set up a, um, I, I joined an online, at the time it was an online um, weight loss you know, bodybuilding type, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. platform. Um, joined that. Anyway, I started losing weight and and I had my I just had my eye on this triathlon that I was gonna, you know, eventually do. And it took mm-hmm. me about 12 months. Anyway, I lost about, I think it was about 36 kilos at the time. Yeah. Um and just became obsessed with training and and triathlon. And you know, I I I think at the time um, because that's when I met Jen Forster and I started working for her and, you know, yes. that's when how we connected. Yes. And, um, you know, at the time I was I was very proud of myself. I'd done this, you know, gone on this this huge journey mm-hmm. and I kind of had this feeling that I had done my metamorphosis, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd, 
I'd, uh, you know, I'd lost 30 kilos. I became a, um, an, an athlete, yes, <laughs> um, if you will, and, um, you know, started, you know, really getting involved in, in training and fitness. And, mm-hmm. and I really quite settled into that. And then... Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then and I you know like I was yeah I thought I thought I'd done I thought I'd kind of had all this hard stuff happen in my life you know through my childhood and mm-hmm. you know through young adulthood and I you know I'd been a single mum at 24 and I got married and you know I lost all this weight and I felt I had this feeling that I had arrived mm. you know I'd kind of gone through this massive weight loss and finally my life was mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wasn't it actually wasn't, you know. So the physical metamorphosis is one thing. Um, my marriage ended, mm. <laughs> um, you know, and it's not, you know, I, I I I take responsibility for my marriage ending. That's, but it I, it was at the same time it was unexpected. I didn't think that this was how my life was going to go. Yes. Um, so, you know, I floated around then for a couple of years and I kept training and I was, you know, balancing soul parenting and training and, you know, I would take the kids to the pool with me or to the beach with me or to the track with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really worked I, and I was still kind of in this mindset that the the physical transformation was my metamorphosis. It was my thing to be proud of. It was my thing to kind of help other people with. and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, it was, it, it really wasn't. It was, um, I have to say that it was actually probably a big lie in regards to, um, the importance of it, if you know what I mean. Like, I think I really kind of became so wrapped up in that, that, um, you know, when my emotional world crashed down around me after after that I realized that that actually wasn't that important or mm-hmm. it was you know just the tip of the iceberg of of me moving through life and changing so yeah it was um yeah it was big but it mm. really that's what big. I want to say like not ever taking away the monumental mm. shift in your mindset, your physicality, your commitment to your self-care, moving, et cetera, like that is a monumental mm. shift and thing to achieve. I'm listening and I'm nodding internally because I also, you know, many times in my life, my most recent attempt at, you know, fixing myself, mm. um, I'm air quoting, fixing myself, um, came in the form of a really super restrictive diet program where I lost 30-something kilos and I too thought, I have arrived. Mm. My life will be magically better. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, that is so not the case. That is literally, yeah, just the external. And Mm. internally what I was seeking was this sense of worth and control and safety and love and support that I hadn't experienced as a kid. Um, And I was seeking trying to get something external to kind of fill the hole. And I also came to a realization where I was like, well, fuck, that didn't make any difference whatsoever <laughs> to my internal landscape. No. And in fact, it, I, in fact, it actually made it, things worse for me because I feel mm. like, uh, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of women can relate to this, we carry weight as a protection. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And, it, and if, if anyone has experienced any kind of relationship or sexual trauma or anything, mm-hmm. 
you know, where we our safety, our our emotional, physical, or psychological safety is threatened, often women, maybe men too. I can't yes. speak for men, but you know, it's not uncommon for weight to be um a protective layer for that. Mm-hmm. So when all when I when that all disappeared and you know I was very lean at one point and um I actually felt more unsafe and more vulnerable in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um I and I, it became my identity too because everybody would be like, oh, my God, you've lost that. Oh, my God, how'd you do it? Oh, my God. And, yep. you know, you get that external reward. Mm, mm. It's just reinforcing that skinnier is better or yeah, absolutely is better because everybody mm-hmm. was so happy for me. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh, that's a whole freaking conversation right whole, there, right? Yeah. Like, um, but on the inside I was still... I still hadn't addressed the emotional issues that led to the weight gain in the first place, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, and I hadn't addressed, um, you know, even the breakdown of my marriage, my responsibility mm-hmm. and that, and, you know, I, I was just off living my best life as a size yeah. 10 triathlete. Yes, yes. yes. And, <laughs> um, and also like a bit of a fuck you to the ex-husband, well, yeah. right? Like, you know, look yeah. at me go, I can live my best life and, yeah despite what happened you know that sort of energy yeah um but along with that came a lot of judgment and a lot of criticism from people because people can be very cruel to mums especially because my kids were quite young at the time and I remember I was out having a drink with some friends and I had a an event the next day so I wasn't drinking any alcohol and I had a I had a my screen saver on my phone was my bike Hmm. and this very good friend of mine, she saw my phone. It was on the table, yeah, you know, yeah. they were drinking. And she said, oh, my God, have you got a picture of a, your bike as your screensaver? And I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of my bike. I saved up and bought it and I like And she said, well, most mothers have pictures of their kids on their phone. And I was just like, wow, mm. you actually just said that out loud? You know, maybe it was the alcohol she was drinking, but... But that was it. Started to become really evident to me that everyone had a point of view about me doing something from for me. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. So yep. <laughs> I would say to my parents, you know, can you mind the kids on a Saturday morning so I can do my morning ride? And mm-hmm. it's always this underlying thing where, as mothers, we're not supposed to do things for ourselves. Mm-mm. And fuck me, I it. Like it just brought me undone. All of yeah. the ju- the judgment. It was like you're not allowed to be that. Like when you're a, when you're a, an overweight frumpy mum, it's okay. Oh, she must be very loving and very caring yes. and very you know. Look at her <laughs> not looking after herself. What yeah. a wonderful mother. Yeah, Fuck. yeah. Because she must put her kids first. Whereas you know, yeah. So that um, that really brought me undone because I I've. I have been especially um, sensitive to judgment my entire life. It's mm. it, um, like very sensitive to it. Mm. Um, and I grew up in a home where, you know, I wasn't, uh, the only thing that was ever expected of me was to get married and have kids mm. and nothing else. And and why would I think about anything else? And you don't need to go to university because your husband will look after you. You'll get married and your husband will look after you. Oh. Even after I was divorced, you know, like my parents were just 
ashamed of the fact that they had a divorced child. Um, and my mum said to me, don't worry, you'll meet someone soon. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to blaspheme. I shouldn't say that word because <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone, but oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. So, okay. So knowing that about your childhood, it is very easy. And I, I really want people to hear this. Mm. It is extremely difficult for us as women mm. to even know who we are, what we want, what we desire when yeah. we have, if we have grown up, and a lot of us have, in mm. families, in communities, in churches, in whatever, fill in the blank here, communities, yeah. where a woman's role is a very particular box. Yeah. And by definition, if you want something outside of that box, it's not okay. It's not good. It's not, it's going to yeah. offend people. It's going to whatever, like upset the apple cart for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. And so here we are as 30, 40, 50 and beyond year old women finally getting to the point in our lives where we're like, uh, I'm sorry, mm. who the fuck is defining this journey yeah. for me? Um, yeah. I feel deeply ripped off. I'm like, far out. And if I knew what I know now, that's silly to say, but, you know, as a 20-year-old, my life would have looked very different, very, very different. Um, Although I also always anchor back into one of my key beliefs, which is you can trust the timing of your life as well. Yeah. So timing-wise, you've gone through the physical metamorphosis, the external metamorphosis. And on one hand, you've got all these people going, yay, Nick, you must, yeah, you such, so much better a person because you're tiny now and you're, mm. you, you know, you're so skinny and, and worthy. Mm. Yay. Yeah. Good woman yeah. for being beautiful. Pat on the head. Yeah. And then you've got this other side of being judged, not, not feeling like what your decisions and what your desires yeah. are even okay to express. Mm. And the judgments came from the closer people were to me. That, mm. that's where the judgments came from it was mm. people people who weren't you know in that inner circle mm-hmm. those the people outside of that were the ones that were saying oh my god yeah well done and it was the people closest to me mm. that didn't like the change they didn't like the the new sense of confidence that I had mm. they didn't like that I was choosing for me um and that bothered me because you just want to be loved and accepted by the Absolutely. people close to you, right? So it was, yeah, it was Absolutely. hard. Oh, my goodness. What I want to say about the, all of that, um, you know, didn't like the new me, didn't like the confident me, people that are used to us dancing a particular dance are very yeah. disturbed when you start dancing one of power and to your yeah. own music and your own yeah. beat and not giving a fuck what people think. Yeah. And so let's normalise that if you have lived in one of those containers where your role is X, Y, Z and you choose to not do that, you're going to offend people and you're going yeah. to receive judgment and it's still worth doing. <laughs> like yeah. do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and part of the journey is becoming okay with it, you know. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. And, yeah, part of that is that's a big part of the journey for me. And I, I think um, my mum had quite significant mental health issues growing up. So, um, and she had a, a, a long history of childhood trauma and trauma through her young adulthood. So, um, you know, I can reflect on that now and and see where her trauma drove her behaviour. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think she resented me because I was going, fuck it, I'm going to get, I'm going to have what I want. I'm going to have it. I'm just going to go and do it. And, mm-hmm. 
I was just this wild, you know, loud. um, Yeah. And she resented the fact that I was being what she couldn't. I represented what she wanted to be. And um, that's something that I always feel very sad about for my mum. She passed away in 2017. So, yeah, interesting. But so then I went, so after lost weight, marriage fell apart, uh, terrible relationship with my ex-husband with co-parenting, which was really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, he remarried quite quickly. But then, the, then there was the two of them trying to just bring everything that I did undone. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a relationship sort of maybe three years after I was divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, and without going into too much detail, um, it was the catalyst for me finally going, I'm not fucking doing this shit anymore. Like I am no longer going to turn myself inside out to be what someone else wants me to be just so that I can be loved, taken care of, you know, accepted, appreciated, you know, because what what actually came out of that relationship mm. was the realisation that sometimes nothing you do is ever going to be enough mm. and you can't, you can't control or you have no responsibility for other people's behaviours. And or so, emotional stability or, or emotional okayness in the world. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. I, it's if you're, I'm okay with people having stuff because mm-hmm. I think you can't get to nearly 50 and not have no, a suitcase, not. right? Yep. Absolutely. But, and you look, if you need to unpack the suitcase mm-hmm. and you need some help to unpack it, mm-hmm. I'll unpack it with you, but I'm not carrying it. I am not carrying your suitcase because it's too heavy for you. Mm-hmm. Not doing that any longer. Um, and that's essentially how I felt in that relationship. You know, I turned myself inside out to try and be what somebody wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried everything I could to soothe and fix something that um, was way beyond my pay grade. Yeah. Um, and also not your role as a partner. And not like, my totally role. Not. Yeah. Um, but I did it because I think I had this, I think I've I've had this, um, I'd been driven most of my life to try and prove that I was a good person, mm. you know, because coming from, you know, a mother with mental health issues and, um, you know, and I was the scapegoat and I was, and I kept, and I was the disappointment and everything I did in life was not in line with the plan that as I exited the womb. As I exited the womb, I did I not pay attention womb, to the signposts. I was assigned a role and anything I did that didn't feel that I was made to feel like a disappointment or a failure or, you know, was, no one ever saw me for who I was. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I got to the point where I, so after that relationship ended and it was quite toxic towards the end, um, I had completely lost my internal compass. I didn't know which mm. way it was up. I didn't know who I was mm. because I had I was not. Yeah, it was. I was very lost. I, you know, and um, yeah, I kind of got to the point where I was just. I couldn't have gotten any 
further rock bottom. And, you know, I couldn't even leave the house. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think on reflection, now I understand at the time I didn't because no one had ever told me about perimenopause. Perimenopause was was arriving at the same time. And, I, and you know, I've heard people say that, you know, maybe stress brings on the symptoms of perimenopause yeah. and I would say that was definitely probably, you know, my experience. Right. Um, so I developed social anxiety. I couldn't leave the house. I shut down all my social media. Um, I was so frightened of doing or saying the wrong thing or, and you know, and, and a lot of shame kind of, you know, underneath all of that. Yeah. Um, and my GP said to me, you are a, like a nervous breakdown is right around the corner for you if you don't do something. Like I was and still trying to raise kids and yeah, sole parent and meanwhile still trying yeah. to carry on a life, you know, <laughs> and um, you know, and raise the kids on my own because there was no mm. support. Um, mm. so yeah, so that was that was my rock bottom, um, and that was when the true metamorphosis, I believe, really began for me, like that real, that soul deep, uh, change metamorphosis, and I just was like, I, I mean, I owe it to my kids. I had to. I was driven to prove to my kids that I wasn't what other people were saying I was, mm. um, and I had to be what my kids needed, mm-hmm. um, and at the to and forsake anyone else. You know, like there was this. I made this decision that it was just going to be me and the kids for however mm-hmm. long it took mm-hmm. for us to dig our way out, um, and that was when I decided, like on a whim, to go and do a university degree. I love this. I love this. I'm like, yeah, you know, a lot of people would just buy chocolate, but she decides to study for six years. Okay. I just, I don't, I want to reflect back before we go down the, the, and the total metamorphosis. But I was saying to you before we started recording, one of the things that I keep coming home to every time, every story in every, you know, in all the different forms, this deep, reverence I keep being reminded to feel about the resilience of the human spirit because not only were you at rock bottom bottom but you were meeting the clusterfuckery that can be perimenopause yeah so and to me you know one of the the biggest kind of um, testing points for perimenopause myself so far has been like emotional swings and also like self-doubt just not like I'm I'm is how I'm feeling actually valid? Like I don't know. Am I going this crazy? Yeah, Am I going exactly. Crazy? Am I going crazy? Is yeah. this real? Is this actually? Is yeah. what I'm experiencing my version of reality actually yeah. happening? Really yeah. discombobulating. And so, on a whim, mm. you enroll in a bachelor of psychology. <laughs> Not an arts degree, people. Well, <laughs> <That's> psychology. <laughs> so the, the thing is, I and I think you know, I've always been interested in personal development, yes. human behaviour, and you know, um, I, I've and it was it started with my mum because I had to believe that there was a reason why people behave the way they behave. Yeah, like she's my mum there must be a reason why she's doing what she's doing, mm. you know, because mm. she, she must love us, you know. Um, and so I had this 
yeah, it was kind of like I couldn't, I couldn't accept that because everyone would just pay out on her for being a bit crazy and, mm-hmm. you know, she would do and say some really bizarre things and mm-hmm. um, she had um, at, at one point she had um, trauma-induced psychosis. So mm-hmm. it was quite, yeah, you know. Extreme. Uh, yeah, and back in, that was, you know, I was 15 at the time. People didn't talk about mental health. It was just, oh, your mum's just gone to hospital for a little while. And then when she came out, it was like, oh, she's home now. No discussion about what had happened, what she'd been through. So I, I was like, there's more to this. There's more to this. So um, I went on, a, I've always been on a bit of a mission for human behaviour and I wanted to go to university and study psychology when I left school. But I was given the no, no. You're not wait for a man to look after you. Literally, girls don't go to university. And it was like every time I brought it up, it was dismissed as not even, we're not even going to have the conversation. You will, I'll get you a job in a bank. These are my dad's exact words. Oh, wow. I know the bank manager of the Commonwealth Bank. I will get you a job in a bank and you'll just work in the bank until you get married. And produce kids. And produce kids. That's yeah. That was my yeah. And my dad and I, we've talked about that just recently, actually, and he's he totally accepts that, you know, and I said to him, I don't blame you. But, um, but anyway, so I wanted to go to university. I always thought that university was just not for me. It was always for those other people, you know, the smart ones. <laughs> oh, my God, you're so smart. <laughs> so funny yeah. funny and, how we see each other versus yeah. how people see us. Like, I, it's like looking over the fence, going, yeah. oh, what do all those people do? Oh, they mm-hmm. go to university. And it's not for people like me, don't go to university. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I even had, do you remember, uh, you know, um, Rachel Whitten? She was yes. one of yeah. 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 So, Rachel, one of my, she's my, she's my, I always call her my guardian angel because she's just one of my uh, closest and dearest friends. And she's, no matter what, no matter what I've been and how or, you know, how I've shown up in the world, because it hasn't always been pretty, um, she's always been there as a consistent thing. And, you know, she would buy me and my kids groceries. We had no money. We, uh, I was doing, um, you know, some freelance writing and I was, you know, doing all this stuff and I, I just I couldn't put food on the table. And I was at the point where I was either going to, um, like I was nearly going to say to the kids, you're going to have to go and live with your dad because I can't afford to feed you. And I'd keep the kids home from school because I couldn't give them lunch. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know. Um, and so I had 39 cents in the bank when I decided to go to university. And I had to borrow, I think it was 69 or 76 or something, 70 bucks or something to um, to do the application. I had to borrow that to apply. And some people said to me, you're the doctor has just told you you're about to have a nervous breakdown and you're going to take on a psychology degree and I'm like well I know it sounds weird but it feels right it feels right oh my god yes it like feels it right. doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. the decision to go to university in the state that I was in made absolutely no sense whatsoever mm-hmm. zero there was nothing and I just thought well if I'm going to be struggling and if life is going to be hard and I'm going to be going through every day, you know, labouring through every day, then there's going to be an outcome. It's not going to be just Groundhog Day. For nothing, yeah. There's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel and I have to have something to be working towards. So that's what I did. <laughs> I just, I, I've been, I, 
marinating this idea of being the decider and the creator in our lives. And that is a perfect example Mm. of someone who's going, all right, I'm surrendering to this reality right now, Mm. but I'm deciding it's not going to be for fucking nothing. Like there's going to be something at the end of this for us. Yeah. So you start a psychology degree at what what age were you? 40? 43. 43. Yep. And you have just graduated with? Uh, First class honours. I was so excited when I saw that. (laughs) I'm just like, fuck yes. Yes, you do. And bloody hell, like, you know, going back to any sort of study after the you know, I don't know, the normal average time that we, you know, the design that sometimes we could fall into the trap of thinking, oh, you know, uni is, you know, you go to school, you go to uni, whatever. Mm. Um, But even doing that and being a mature age student versus being one of the teeny boppers (laughs) in the psychology class. So what, you know, you describe this as your real metamorphosis. What has changed in the way that you see yourself Mm. and your ability to create mm. your life? Well, I think uh, so there's a couple of things. Mm. There's the confidence that comes from having an education. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, there's that there's that feeling of, you know, like, and especially for women, mm-hmm. I, ha- I now have an education and no motherfucker can ever take that from me. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've learned stuff mm-hmm. and I have, and I know... I, I understand that it's a construct of the society we live in and, you know, academia is not everything and it's not, but it is but it is valuable in our society. Like it is it is going to earn me more money, you know, and that's going to give me the ability to take care of myself and my family more so than if I hadn't had it. So no one can take that from me and no one can take the hard work away. No one can, no one can say that I didn't work hard. Because I couldn't have got to the end without hard work. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's the confidence that comes with it. The the rest of it, I think, for me, it's I there was so I had so much to unpack that I couldn't have done it without the distraction of having the degree. Mm. It was kind of like uh, releasing the pressure cooker slowly over time. Mm. So. I would head down 13 weeks for a semester and I would learn some stuff that would help me perhaps kind of do some Mm self-reflection. Then I would, you know, take some time. There was a lot of tears. Mm. There was a lot of I can't do this, what the hell, who the hell do I think I am? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, there was a lot of therapy sessions as well. So I did it. It wasn't just you know, working hard on the degree. I, I, in that time, I, I worked on myself. I had, I was seeing a psychologist and I was also seeing a, um, some energy healers Mm. kind of stuff as well. I kind of combined the whole thing. Um, what I came to, I know what I know. I know what I know Mm. and I'm not going to doubt it anymore. Mm. Like I'm not going to doubt what I know because my intuition is now backed up by the knowledge that I have as well, mm. if you yeah. know what I mean. Did you um, find, sorry, okay. Oh, I was just going to say, and also I, and I, I know I keep harping on about this and it sounds like I'm flying the flag, but I raised my kids on my own mm. and I did it without input and 
the amount of judgment that I've had over the years of, you know, the choices I've made as a mother, I've got three really quality human beings that I can proudly say I've contributed to them being who they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's been a big, it's been a big six years, not just the study, but everything else that's come along. Yeah, so the kids are all graduated now? Uh, well, yeah. So no, Jordan's. She's just had her formal. She's graduating. Yeah, I thought she was the um, same as Abby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So twenty five, nineteen, and seventeen. They are. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Far yeah. out. That um, must feel deeply satisfying to know that the container yeah. that you created for them, with very, very little assistance from yeah their dad, has been yeah. something that yeah. Yeah. And like you said, quality human beings, like good yeah. eggs. I would call yeah. them good eggs. That's my version of quality. <laughs> and because that's my my measure of success is, yeah. you know, money and whatever, we need that to survive. Mm-hmm. That's a necessity. Mm-hmm. We need to be, and, and for me to not be um, stressed or, mm-hmm. um, you know, mode. financial financial trauma and survival trauma is is horrific. You know, and so many people experience it and so many people don't, they, they're they just stuck on that, that yeah. roundabout. Like it's it's horrific. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. No, but, I was saying about the quality human beings and oh, oh, yeah, your oh, measure yeah. of success. So, that's what I said. Yes. so while money is important, mm. for me the measure of success is the quality of human being that you are and how well you care for other people. And so Absolutely. all three of them, that's, you know, so for me my kids are amazing because yeah. they all care about other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How could they not with a mum like you? <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to ask, when you were studying psychology, because I'm relating to a lot of what you're saying, I have a, a mum with significant mental health diagnoses and issues and um, I experienced um, what I would call, I don't know, if in psychological terms I would call definitely, well, more than likely qualifies as uh, codependency slash trauma bonding. Um, yeah. I don't know enough about psychology to sort of label myself that, but um, I'm nodding along at a lot of what you're saying. And one yeah. of the things that I am really curious to know is when you mm. were studying your degree mm. and you say, you know, I know what I know and I'm not going to doubt it. Mm. As a kid of someone with that type of like psychological mm. distress disorder conditioning through their own trauma and acknowledging that that is certainly the case, were some of the things that you just knew about human behaviour because you'd experienced it and mm. you'd had to make meaning of what you went through born out when you actually studied psychology, like your gut feel or your sort of yeah. instinct? Yeah. Was pretty and right. I, yes, and I think as an empath um, and, you know, like I have a bit of a theory about empaths too, you know, like I think that empaths are often born out of trauma. <laughs> Yeah. So we become so hypersensitive to people around us because it's a, it's how we stay safe. So our nervous systems are wired to pick up micro expressions and things like that that other people may not pick up. So, you know, it's we can, what I have discovered is, so I was before the degree, before education, I was, I had gone down a quite a big spiritual path. Yes. Um, and what I've understood, 
what I understand now is that a lot of what we consider energy and, um, uh, you know, empathic kind of abilities, it's very related to the nervous system and very related to how our how we are wired as a result of our environment when we're young. That's not to say that it's not still, you know, an energy thing or whatever because I still I, I feel like I have a nice bridge between the two, but I understand that some of my own behaviours and my own reactions, especially in relationship, mm-hmm. are born, were born out of codependence that was the result of a, of you know um, not being co-regulated as a child right. not having co-regulation and and those feelings of safety as a child emotional and psychological safety yeah. creates codependence it creates the desire for us to be what other people want us to be because we want all we want is to co-regulate and to feel safe so the more i do what you want me to do the more chance i've got of feeling safe correct doesn't happen like doesn't work like that no um good theory yeah (laughs) so it doesn't bear out (laughs) yeah yeah and so i think the a lot of what i learned was through my degree obviously Mm. but a huge part of my own journey and my own growth came from the stuff that I did in addition to that. So mm-hmm. I heard you on one of your podcasts the other day, you mentioned um, The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. Bessel van der Kolk's book. book. Yeah. I read that book. I went and had a seminar with him when he came mm-hmm. out. Um, you know, I, um, oh, Peter Levine, all the people that, you know, around that kind of nervous system. Yes. Uh, trauma stuff. And I came to understand that a lot of my reactions, particularly in relationship, mm-hmm. were just my nervous system trying to keep me safe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and even with my family, you know, because I I had the reputation growing up as, oh, she's always going off. She's always yelling and she's always, you know, because I was, because no one ever saw me or heard me. So the louder I was, the, you know, and and all it does is perpetuate this idea that Absolutely. you're a nut job. More feedback, more feedback, more you know. feedback. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, mm, I know what I know. I'm not, I'm actually not crazy. I never was. I never was. Oh. I just was not seen, not heard, and yep. desperately wanted people to see who I who I was mm-hmm. for who I am. Um, this is this is the gift I think of. Not only sharing these stories, but the gift of perimenopause is that we yeah. literally do not give a fuck anymore yeah. or are learning to shed the skins of giving a fuck about yeah. what other people think of us, getting love and approval outside of ourselves, et cetera. And I think that's when these patterns, if not before, become so painful mm. and at such a cost and in the middle mm. of the emotional dysregulation that can come with perimenopause where we just get so fucking exhausted. Yeah, we just go. I can't. I'm, can't I, do I, it I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I don't actually care anymore. And um, I totally agree with you. My own theory about empathy is that there is no such thing as empathy. It's just hypervigilance born from trauma. Um, yeah, that's what I've been saying for years. And that's pretty cool to hear someone who's got some psychological training going. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. got got some truth to it. Um, because yeah, it is actually not. Um, oh God, I'm not even going to go down the rabbit hole of saying normal because I don't want to assign normality where, you know, we're on a spectrum, but, um, it is not healthy for us Mm. to be so 
hypersensitive to someone else's expressions, mood changes, tone changes, no, whatever, how they walk, how they whatever, um, mm. that we need to morph our behaviour and mm. our our speech, our, everything about ourselves to become this chameleon to try to not trigger yeah. someone else. Like that's yeah. actually a very unhealthy environment yeah. to grow up in um, mm. and very, very understandable for that to carry through to any relationship, any yeah. particularly an intimate relationship, like kids, partners, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Because, yeah, we don't know how to walk the dance of being seen and heard by someone. No, mm. and the, and one of the one of the hardest parts about you know when you come to that realization that you know I, I came to the point where if I didn't start setting boundaries, mm. this is kind of dramatic, but. It's like if I don't start setting boundaries with people, I'm going to fucking die. Like I'm going to die. It's not dramatic. I I totally understand. (laughs) I actually can't do this anymore. And I, you know, I I very dramatically cut a lot of people out of my life simply because my nerve endings were so felt so exposed and so raw that Mm -hmm. I couldn't tolerate being around a lot of the people that I had in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was self-preservation and self-healing. And some people understood. Mm. Some people got offended. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really quickly, I really quickly learnt and realised who saw me for who I am Mm. and who had my back. And so now my my circle is small. I still I still like love interacting with people, and I yes. and now I go out a lot more than I used to. But my circle is small, yeah. and it's not it's not an easy. It's, there's not an easy in. Mm-hmm. And, and you're reminding me of something. Um, I love Daniela Port's writings. I think she's got mm-hmm. a depth of wisdom that's just exquisite and one of the things that she wrote about god very early on because i've been on her you know in her community since like 2010 Mm. i reckon one of the things that she wrote about or had a blog post about or video i don't even know what it was but you're reminding me of it she said keep your your heart wide open and keep a big motherfucking fence around it yeah and that's actually what i hear from you is like i'm still yeah, I'm still willing to be open, vulnerable, yeah. to connect, to be intimate. Yeah. I'm just careful who I actually let through that front fence to actually get access to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, and you know, it wasn't that wasn't an immediate thing because at first it was shut down, shut yes. out, yeah, and um, you know, it's taken me. It has taken me. I, I wouldn't be able to sit here and have this conversation with you mm. maybe twelve months ago, maybe mm. even six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was still so frightened of of um just being misunderstood or um judged or you know um but yeah so what I was gonna say before is the, the bound setting boundaries is not an easy thing to learn mm-hmm. when not when you've never had them. And not when you've learned to be responsible for someone else's emotional well being. Yeah. That's I um, find that very difficult as it well. It can feel very scary terrifying my biggest fear was that if I set boundaries I'd be alone yeah Mm -hmm. if I start setting boundaries around these people Mm -hmm. and how they interact with me if I start saying no 
you know, I don't like it, that doesn't work mm. for me, or mm. then they would disappear and mm-hmm. I would end up alone because, you know, no one would like my boundaries. Mm. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But what did happen was some people did walk away. Yeah. But they but the but they just created a space. Yeah, absolutely. Really quality human beings to enter. So it's the circle is smaller, but my the friend that I have now, I have there's a mutual reverence yes. for each other and and a respect. Um, you know, so I'm I feel very lucky now. It's um it's funny how when or it's not funny, it's perfect how when I'm doing interviews, quite often a similar theme or message will come across and earlier today I recorded an interview and we were talking about how when we've learned ways of being with other people particularly parents or siblings or you know people that have a huge impact in the way that we grow up and get this sense of self or or not mm. you know mm. on the flip side no sense of self yeah. um that as we go on the healing journey well, I don't even like the word journey because by definition it says that it stops with it. I yeah. don't think it never stops, but, you know, my healing process, healing journey, want to expand um, awareness around patterns that you don't want to continue. Yeah. Um, what tends to happen is exactly what you're talking about is that there's a change in what we will and won't tolerate, mm. which is therefore the boundary. Mm. But by setting the boundary, we create our own sense of safety, which we may never yeah. have experienced before. And then we can unfurl the fullness of ourselves. Yeah. Oh, I got full body shivers again. Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. Unfurling who you really are. Yeah. And then you are seen and you are heard. But it's not <laughs> until you actually start setting the fucking boundary for yourself and yeah. creating the safety that you can do that. Yeah. And I always thought it was like back to front. Yeah. Like I always thought I just needed to get closer to people yeah, and try and really connect. But I'm like, you're trying to connect when you're not even being yourself because you're not safe enough to be yourself. Yeah. So how, like you're, like you're yeah. I don't know, now, I look back now. Well, I described it as, I, I, I kind of described it as it's like we're all walking around the world in our own little perspex cylinder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're interacting with each other, but there's these, massive big barriers that we can't even see because we're not being our authentic selves Mm. and you know if you've read that um Bessel van der Kolk's book Mm. The Body Keeps the Score he talks about that you know there is deep within us is an authentic self and you know a lot of our reactions trauma reactions our body is doing what it's supposed to do it's 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 we're wired to survive. Yeah, absolutely. We're, you know, like look at it from an anthropolo- anthropological perspective. We're just, we're wired to survive. So our nervous systems are doing, they're cocooning the authentic self mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, uh, keeping, keeping that safe. Um, and so we're all walking around in these aspects. Yeah, absolutely. Still, our authentic self is tucked in there somewhere, but you know, and it's it's kind of like when you first start, you kind of like 
when you first meet someone that you do this little dance of can I be mean with you yeah, and yeah exactly you know and, and if as soon as I get a whiff of uh I can't be mean with you then I know so um one of my therapists said to me once if you consider yourself a farmhouse mm-hmm. you're the farmhouse you're the you're the valuable piece on mm-hmm. on the land right mm-hmm. and then there's one fence perimeter mm-hmm. and then there's a little bit further out, there's yeah, another yeah, perimeter yeah, fence. Yeah. The first gate has a set of rules mm-hmm. of engagement, mm-hmm. and if you meet those, if you meet those standards or values or whatever it is that you want to put on the outside mm-hmm. gate, those people can come into that first yard. Yeah. Then on the inside gate, there's stricter rules, stricter values, mm-hmm. stricter alignment, or or a, um, a stricter requirement for alignment. Yeah, and. And those people can come in and sit in your lounge room and sit with you I at your fireplace that. and, yeah. you know, and I'm like, oh, that's perfect. You don't have to shut the whole world out. You just have to know which yard they belong in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and go out and meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, but you but don't you, have to put yourself in harm's way by letting them no. in the lounge room. Yeah. No. I love that, especially because, yeah. you know, I live in the country, so, you know, yeah. I love a farm analogy. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you you only let the special people into the farmyard and into the into your home, into your land room, into your heart, yeah. into your trust and, mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So when you started setting the boundaries, mm-hmm. what has that, well, first of all, actually, I want to step back one step and say, deeply honouring the fact that particularly if it feels like it would have been too hard six months ago, thank you for honouring us with the the space and the lessons. Every time I record one of these, I'm just like, far out, this is going to reach so many women. And so yeah. <laughs> your cat is like, meow. Yeah. Um, so many women and heal in so many different ways with different, you know, ahas and the golden nuggets that, you know, fall into people's hearts and souls and awareness um once you've set the boundaries and you've come to the end of this huge period of you know you've backed yourself you've you've undergone this massive metamorphosis you've done the study you've achieved the degree you've got that confidence and the grounding back in your it's like your self-trust right like you said Mm. I know what I know And I don't, you know, there's no, there's nothing outside of me that will make me question that again. Whereas where we started the conversation was everything outside of me buffeted me around. Yeah. I was like being inside a washing machine. Yeah, absolutely. There's no stability at all when Mm. you don't have a, Mm. a sense of who you are. Yeah. So where to from this space? What, what do you feel is not the next step as in like a strategy or a plan or anything, but like what is, what's calling you now? Like you've done a shitload of healing and yeah. transformed so much. What so feels like it's, it's you know, it definitely feels like a chapter and it's funny how it all just, you know, the kids of mm. I uni. And, you know, one of the reasons why I was quickly back was to go to mm. uni was I knew that one day the kids would be adults and you know family mm. assistance would stop and you know there was this fear of you know middle-aged women being the the fastest growing yes, homeless, homeless population yep. mm-hmm. so that was another driver was like mm. I'm not that's not going to be me I'm not going to be that's not my story renting a room off someone in my 60s that's not going to happen yep. so um 
you know, and I finished my degree in the nick of time. I mm. finished my degree the same year that my youngest finishes high school. Yeah. So, whew. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trust the timing, trust the timing. Um, and, you know, I was very lucky. I, you know, in my first, after my first semester, I got a job at the uni and then I got another job at the uni and then I got another job at the uni and I've been working at the uni for the last five and a half years and for five of those, or four of those years I've been working in a research centre. Um, so I, and it, with amazing people, like mm-hmm. it's, you know, not only are they really, really smart um, people, um, you know, my boss is in the top 10 researchers in his field and, you know, I'm learning a lot, but they're also mentor type people, you know, they're, mm-hmm. and they see, it's the, it's the first time I've ever worked in a workplace where I'm, my, they see my intelligence when I don't, which is funny, um, and they give me things to do, and I'm like, oh, you should, can I do that? You sure? And, and, <laughs> and I do it. And so I'm in a really nurturing place work-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've decided to do is instead of going straight on a post-grad clinical master's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm taking a year off and I'm going to just work full-time Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually put a hold on my volunteer stuff because I was volunteering and mentoring at Lifeline as well. Lifeline, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've just I've made a very clear decision that my health and my well-being, mm-hmm. like I've laid the groundwork for it now. Mm-hmm. Now I have to do the things yeah. to take care of myself. So um, yes, definitely a new chapter. I'm gonna st- I'm working full time at the research center. Um, and I've taken everything else off my plate. So it's yeah. just work, me and the kids. Um, and I've, I'm back in the gym. Yay. And um, I'm back training, which, you know, like just in the last couple of weeks that, you know, it always takes a good month. Mm. Well, you know, yep. and there's a lot to undo. I've put on, you know, 30-something kilos. And yeah, my, me too. <laughs> my joints are all stiff and my I yep. have no yep. glute muscles because I've been sitting on my ass for six years. and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been slow and, you know, 10 years ago I would have been performance-focused, yeah. get those, you know, yeah, get yeah. squat numbers up and yeah, yeah. how much how can much you can lift? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hear, I hear. <laughs> and, uh, and now it's like, oh, my God, I can put my undies on without leaning on the wall. Yay. And, you know, so it's I'm slowly building up my strength but I'm feeling the difference and I'm feeling um really good so 12 months the next 12 months is going to be focusing on just um like refueling my body and nurturing and um I want to say lose weight but that's if that happens it happens um the important thing is to get moving and just start enjoying life again yeah and feel um, I'm, I'm in a similar, well, I'm only like week three back at the gym, <laughs> having put back on 30-something kilos. Um, and same thing, like I'm not attached anymore at all to the kilo number, but I want to feel vital again. I want to feel yeah. strong and I want to feel grounded and I want to be able to run up the stairs if I want to, yeah. or, you know, chase my stupid daughter's bloody sharpo down the road like I yeah. do today. I just about had a cardiac event. But anyway, um, <laughs> but you know, nutrition and that is, it's when it comes to, we're talking about perimenopause, mm-hmm. I started following a pro-metabolic diet mm-hmm. and my perimenopausal symptoms 
Yeah. You know, like it's so important mm-hmm. when you when rest, when your body says rest. Yes. Absolutely. You know, don't, there's no such thing in my vocabulary as a low calorie diet. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. know, if mm-hmm. I lose a kilo a month, that's fine. As yeah. long as my body is nourished mm-hmm. um, and my, you know. And what a beautiful gift too to not be attached to the pushing energy that we used to in the gym oh, 10 years ago. Yeah. Like achieve, 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 push, push, push. Yeah. Never miss a session. And it's like, whoa, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, what I'm hearing too about this coming year is like you've undergone such a big expansion and evolution over six years. Mm. Um, like just freaking let it settle sometimes we just need to just let it freaking settle like and you know just (sighs) yeah what was that because it was big it was Mm. massive it's it's so hard to put words to what it that kind of experience of change actually is you know it's so hard to articulate what it is but you're Mm. right it's there's this there's very much this need to just sit and let Mm. it integrate Mm-hmm. Or just settle, even settle. like settle. Just um, and and anchor back into all yeah. of those basic need: self care, primary self care, sleep. Connect. And who am I in the world now? Mm. Because I've mm. spent six years. My like, I have not dated. I haven't mm-hmm. dated. I've mm-hmm. hardly socialized. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did. I I have socialized with my close knit yeah. friends, but yeah. um. Who, how does this new me fit into the world now? Mm-hmm. So it's a journey of discovery of discovery. what that looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do I want to feel day to day? That's one of my favorite questions. It's like, how yeah. do I actually want to feel? Mm. What am I available for? What am I not available for? Yeah. Um, and yeah, what, what are my desires now? What do I even like? You know, that's what's that, important. Yeah. What's important to me? What are my values? Um, yeah. And also very much relating to, um, so our youngest is a year younger than Jordan, um, but she has, you know, left school to do a full-time apprenticeship and moved out of yeah. home. So she's not even in the same house as us. Wow. Um, and yeah, Abby's working full-time as well. And it's just this opening up of the time and space and this invitation yeah. of like, whoa, who am I without this active day-to-day driving to school? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Being, obviously you're still a mum and you're always going to be a mum but yeah, yeah who am I in this new space that's opening up it's a different kind of parenting though isn't it it is you totally. know, like I, I'm now no longer all I'm doing is guiding now yeah absolutely like I have to have faith that the choices that they make are going to take them to where they want to go and if they don't and if they fall off course mm-hmm. um that they will come to me and say mum I've done this thing. Can you help me get back on track? Or how do I do it? How do I navigate this situation? Or it's a different kind of parenting. Yeah, totally. It's like you choose whatever you choose now, you young adults. And yeah. yeah. And enjoy the natural consequences. And the beauty of that is that you know that, you know, all the guidance and the love and the decisions and the conversations and the, you know, for years and years and years and years and years add up to being mm. able to actually go yeah. you know there's yeah. the beautiful wide world and there'll always be home to come home to and we'll always support you and we'll always have you yeah. back 100 percent. yeah and there's a beautiful wide world out there and now you get to go and yeah. explore and yeah 
yeah. taste all the things that you want and figure out yeah. who you are, which is yeah. pretty freaking cool. And, you know, I had the kids, you know, the kids came to my graduation, obviously, and, you know, they were all, all three of them were just so proud. Oh. And it was, it was uh, and, you know, that's one thing that I just wanted to make sure I say mm. in interview today is that one thing that I came to was all of the years that I spent looking for external validation or proving to people that I was a good person or, you know, I, I'm not crazy or I'm not erratic or whatever, um, the only people that matter to me, their opinion of me is my kids, Yeah, you know, and all three of them. You know, we ha- I have a really good relationship with all three of them and they all see me. So that's all that matters to me Job now. Done. Yeah, that's it. Mm. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Yeah. What a beautiful place to be. <laughs> what a beautiful place to be. And what a bloody yeah. journey. Oh, My yeah. goodness. <laughs> Far out. I just, yeah, like I said before, deeply honoring you being courageous to tell your story and particularly when yeah like I said it didn't feel like it was maybe accessible as recently as six months Mm. ago Mm. um but again just reiterating like even for myself as so many so many yeah little you know taps on the shoulder confirmations um I always feel like I often use the term like chiropractic adjustments of the soul Mm. where you get that Mm. extra little piece of the puzzle and something really makes sense or really feels, you know, it, it actually lands in your body. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just, Thank you so much. My pleasure. So Thanks much for having me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and amazing that we get to reconnect. Because, I know. Yeah. So oh cool. my goodness, that's so cool. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like my entire life is this marinating in this magical connection thing, and I, I do yeah. really, really, really feel very strongly that a lot of the work that I've been doing internally, yes, in terms of. Even being, I spoke about this in the last interview too, even in terms of being available mm-hmm. to be the truer and truer version of myself, like coming back to the mm. authentic self in the Perspex tube, mm. um, I really haven't understood how thick that Perspex was <laughs> Yeah, until I went through, you know, not the same journey, but similar of like the breaking down of like you, you get to a place where you just have to fucking surrender. And yeah. that's the beauty of rock bottom. Yeah. And then you get to rise up and you get to create from there. And yeah, yeah I just think um the healing that we do and the more that we allow our real self to be seen, the more that we find our people and they're just, yeah. you know, those magical connections. So yeah, absolutely. And Thank I think you. part of that is that there's not when once you go through that journey, there's not one part of yourself that you haven't met. Mm-mm. So there is nothing to hide. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. So. That's oh my goodness. I've got so much to say about shame and guilt and all the shit mm-hmm. that, you know, stops us from yeah. Oh, it's a whole other conversation. Whole we'll other have to come here. We'll have to have you come back as a visiting psychologist um, <laughs> advisor. <laughs> Actually, I've got some big, beautiful plans for 2023, so we may well be no, chat about that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nicole Little. Thanks, you are 
a beautiful light in the world of, yes, resilience, transformation, and I don't give a fuck what you think about me, so I'm just going to go and create whatever I want. (laughs) Thank you, my love. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Carly. Well, there you have it, beautiful one. Another inspirational episode. And thank you so much to our guest from today for sharing their journey and leap of faith. So many takeaways, as always. I would love to know what your favorite thing that we discussed or that hit you between the eyeballs to invite you into your own expansion or leap of faith was. Share it on Instagram or Facebook. You'll find me at Kylie Patchett. And I would love it and be so honored if you take the time to leave a review on any of your favorite podcast platforms about this show or the podcast in general. And finally, if you have someone in your life who is another midlife maven who may just need some reminding that she is a powerful, magnetic, amazing woman and that she absolutely deserves the life that she craves, please share us. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time.